One thing that was really interesting, and it's it's good to be back, but you know, one thing when I'm away, it just seems like forever until I'm back with you all again. It's just, don't leave very often, but it just, you miss a day or something, and it uh, just seems like forever. And we went to church while we were out there, but it's just, it's not really the same. <laughs> Off your routine, everything's different. It was different not being in five messages a week. <laughs> so... Let's go ahead and open with prayer, and then we're going to be in Colossians 1. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come together and, and, and worship you in song. And now, Lord, as we get ready to worship you through the word, we ask you to guide and lead as we bring the, out your word. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians 1, we're going to be reading again from verse 9 through 17, because that is, as we said the last time, two weeks ago, one sentence. Paul loves run-on sentences, which makes it very hard sometimes to split his sentences up and just read one sentence. So here we go. For this cause we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Giving thanks unto God the Father, which hath, has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of, of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him we were all things created that are in heaven and that are, are, are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. All right, so we just read one sentence, and we'll be done sometime around midnight tonight if we go through all of it. <laughs> so we're not going to go through all of it. <laughs> uh, we're going to go to the verse we left off with, 11. Strengthen with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. So Paul is going on, he's right now writing a prayer for the Philippians. If you caught that, you know, he says, We're, We've prayed these things. And this long sentence is a prayer that he's made for the people, and he's telling them what they're praying for. He says, First off, strengthen you all, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. How do we live a Christian life? You know, this is something that people work on a lot. And a lot of people go, well, let me give you a whole bunch of rules. <laughs> if you do these, wherever long their list might be, you know, it can be as short as you know, 20 or 30 or as long as pages and, and a whole book. Uh, I went to a, a Jewish synagogue one time and I picked up the book in their little pocket in front of the door and it turned out to be the rules on how to follow God's rules <laughs> you know, and it was kind of an amazing thing I don't I know that wasn't their title but that was what it was about you, you know I would I picked up the book and it says you can't open a cabinet on the Sabbath day you can't open a soda but if the soda is already open you can take the lid off the soda uh, you know but you can't break the seal. I mean they have rules for everything to decide whether it's work or not and it's a long book. It's bigger than the Bible. Okay? The, the, the book on telling you how to obey the Bible is bigger than the Bible. 
You know, and I'm not making fun of them because Christians do this a lot too. You go to some churches and they have their long list of, you know, uh, used to be, especially in the 40s and 50s, you know, Christians don't go to the movies. They don't go, they don't smoke, they don't drink. They, you know, they, women have to have long hair, men have to have short hair. And they had this long list. And as long as you did all these long lists, you were supposed to be a Christian. Paul is saying you're to be strengthened by God. How do we obey God's word? He indwells us and changes who we are. We get to the place where we don't want to do the things he says not to do because of his power in us. And this is the thing that I would just want to tell us. It doesn't mean we go out and we go, okay, we can just do whatever sins we want. No, God is never saying do that either. But he is also saying that he is the power. You know, he is the power. He's the strength. He's the way out of the trial. And Paul's telling them to be recon- recognizing that. God is your strength and the power. It is not us that live the Christian life because if it is us, it's our own righteousness. And if it's our own righteousness, Isaiah tells us that our righteousness that we can do ourselves in the eyes of God is filthy rags. How many people are going to stand before God on the day of judgment and say, God, look at all my righteousness, and they're going to look down at themselves and see the filthy rags they're clothed with when they're standing before God. How many people who think they're Christians are going to do that, but how many Christians will try to do that? We're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and that's the only acceptable standard for God to accept. You know, God has the ultimate dress code for entering into heaven, and it's perfection. And the only way to have perfection is to be clothed in Christ. And when we go to stand before him, if you're, if you're one of his children, you're going to stand before him clothed in Christ. And this is something that's hard for a lot of non-believers to accept. I had a person tell me that if murderers go to heaven, they didn't want to go to heaven. I'm going, okay, so you'll go to hell where there's a lot more murderers. <laughs> didn't make much sense. But her basic statement was, you know, if God is going to allow bad people into heaven, she didn't want to be in heaven. Well, I had news for her, we're all bad people. You know, in our hearts and who we are in the flesh is a bad person. No matter if we were a good person by human standards, we still are bad as far as the standards of God. Because God is expecting perfection as his standard, not anything other than perfection. And we need to keep this in mind. You know, how many times have you ever heard somebody say, why do bad things happen to good people? Now, that's a, big, that's a big thing that people will tell people all the time. You know, Well, I just don't believe in God because so many bad things happen to all these good people. Well, from a spiritual perspective, the question really should be, why does anything good happen to all of us bad people? You know, it shows God's mercy that anything good happens to us because we don't deserve it. Even us sitting in this room here don't deserve good things because if God treated us the way we deserved, we'd be dead. You know, we'd be dead because the punishment for sin is death. So God's grace and mercy is extended to the entire world that they're even alive. You know, and it says you know, in the scriptures that bad and good come to good and bad. <laughs> if, you're, if you're a follower of Christ, it does not guarantee that nothing but good is going to happen to you. If it did, we'd forget God. We really would. If nothing went wrong in your life, you would end up saying, God, I don't need you. Everything's good. And if you don't believe me, think back over your life at some point where everything seemed to be going good and you kind of 
Stop reading your Bible, praying, and, and paying attention to God. God allows these things to allow, to allow us to continue to depend on Him. Now, the stronger you are and the more you're changed and the more you could stay focused on God, you might have a lot easier life than somebody who needs to be shook up all the time. You know, so if you're always being shook up, you might be like, oh, God, help me learn to keep focused on you at all times. <laughs> because He's going to do what it takes to keep us focused on Him. And some of us need to be shook up a lot. God says, okay, pay attention. Others may have pretty easy because they stay focused on God. I haven't met too many, but <laughs> there's some out there, I'm sure. But you know, the prayer that Paul gives is that we are strengthened by God. We cannot do anything on our own. You know, we look at the life of Job. Job was a guy who thought he had it all together, and he was a pretty good man, actually. What was God's testimony to him, to Satan? He's a man that hates evil. That was the testimony of Job before, from God to Satan. That's not a statement that everybody has. You know, if, you think, if you read that first chapter of Job, Job's kids got together at a different house. He had seven kids, and they got together each at a different house of their brother or sister every day of the week and had parties. What did Job do the next day? He would offer sacrifices, and the reason was, in case they have sinned in their heart while they had their party. This is Job's attitude. Now, we know that a sacrifice from somebody else doesn't do much good, but Job's attitude was, I'm going to make sacrifices for my kids so that if they, if they did something against God in their, while they were you know, partying, then I'm going to offer their sacrifice for them. He hated evil and he cared for his kids that much. And during some of his answers to the, his friends, he'd go, you know, I help the poor, I do these things. He was very generous with his money, obviously, by his answers even when they were accusing him of not being. And then God put him through all kinds of hell in, on earth. Why? All because Satan asked him to. And God said, he's, he's not going to deny me through all of this. No. And we look at this, God's strength. And then it goes beyond that, he goes, Paul goes on, strengthened with all might, According to his glorious power. To be strengthened by God. You know, we really could theoretically live a perfect life if we totally depended on God. The problem with each and every one of us is we don't totally depend on God. How many times have you thought to yourself, well, I can handle this situation? God says to pray without ceasing. How many decisions do we make in our lifetime where we don't pray? We just decide, well, this is, what, this is what looks good. We follow the advice of the world. Make a pro-con list and follow the, follow the one that's got the most pros on it. And God's going, well, I really don't care about your pro-con list. This is what I want to do and because I'm on your side. That's the biggest pro that you're going to have to do what I've asked you to do. Do we spend much time saying, God, what is it you want me to do? How do you want me to do, handle this situation? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? How am I dis- who am I supposed to speak to? You know, we've got the tracks in the back hallway, and we're encouraging people. And I'm loving I'm hearing all these people telling me about how they passed out the tracks. You know, none of them have come back and said somebody bit their head off for casting out a track. 
Okay, I've had two or three people say they've come across some people who would not take a track, but they were nice, you know, they didn't get angry at them. And why am I telling you this? Because I want you all to start passing out tracks. <laughs> you know, the track is a good way to start ministering to people, especially if you're too afraid to speak to them. <laughs> you know, and I've encouraged you to take two or three tracks when you come out of Walmart or Smith's or Basha's or one of the stores. As you're headed to your car, go ahead and just give two or three tracks out. Just walk and say, can I give you one of these? And you don't have to say anything other than, can I give you one of these and walk away? <laughs> get to your car real quick and drive away before you get, <laughs> before you get afraid. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever it takes. But, you know, tracks leave the message of God in their hand. And eventually you'll be willing to speak to people as they ask you. But, you know, God is the one that gives us the strength to do this. You go, well, I could never do that. Well, you know, there's lots of things in your life that you could never do until you started doing them. You know, being around the baby has shown me a lot of things that we couldn't do at some point in our life. None of us came out of the womb crawling on the floor or running or playing baseball or basketball or driving a car. There's lots of things that you have done in your life that you never could do until you started doing them. And I like the idea of of driving. How many of you can remember either yourself when you started driving or everybody in this room has probably had kids teaching a child to drive? Okay, especially if you try to teach them to drive a stick shift. Push the clutch in, put it into first gear, let the clutch up slowly and go forward as they pop the car and stop it <laughs> several times on the first three or four days. And then Think about that. How much do you think about driving anymore? You get in the car, turn the key on, and drive. You know, you're not really paying a lot of attention to the speedometers and everything, but you're, you're aware of everything going on because you've gotten so used to it. The things I'm asking us to do as Christians, if you start doing them a year from now, it's going to be second nature. You'll have cracks all the time, passing them out, giving them out, talking to people about God. Because you're getting used to it. It's not something that you're having to think about. Everything that's new is hard to do when you first start it. And we want to keep that in mind. When God challenges you to do something, it's going to be scary. You've never done it before. or You haven't done it often. God gives you the strength to do it. And you keep doing it and all of a sudden it becomes second nature. What would happen if every single person in this church was to pass out two tracks a week? How many people might get saved in the, in the year? Yeah. You know, just, I want to put that in your, in, your, in your thought process. And that's passing out a lot of tracks in the year. You know, so we want to keep that in mind. And I just want to challenge us. You know, how many people could get saved? We might run out of people in Mojave County you know, after a year or two. I doubt it, but might. <laughs> might be run out of people in chloride, <laughs> which wouldn't hurt my feelings. <laughs> if everybody in chloride got saved, it wouldn't hurt my feelings at all. Then we'd work on Silver Sage and the rest of the Golden Valley. But you know, our goal is to fill heaven with people. That's why we're left on this earth. Jesus says, go and make disciples. Hopefully, you've raised your children up in your homes to be disciple, be, having been discipled, and that they're following God. Yeah. 
But if not, find somebody to disciple. Help them, get, help them learn. One thing you'll notice is, you know, and I hear it from, all, from you guys all the time, you're growing so much, you're getting so much extra knowledge. You know, the funny thing is, when you go to some other church now, as a visitor or whatever, and you open your mouth in the middle of a Bible study or say something to somebody, they're going to look at you like, how do you know this stuff? And you, we, think of, we think of them as simple because we hear them all the time. But you're getting the advantage of being discipled. We need to take what you know and pass it on to others to help them grow. Help them. Because I hear from my kids all the time. They go, oh, we talk to these people and they, they don't know these things. We talked about them all the time. To, to me and them, it was simple, simple truths. Take what you're learning and pass it to others. Never get the idea that, you know, you just don't know anything. Because I'm going to guarantee right now, especially those of you who have sat here for a few years listening to these Bible books and reading the Bible, you know more than a lot of the people you're going to deal with. Be ready. Talk to them. Share the Bible with them. Open it up and disciple with them. He goes on to say... They were strengthened unto all, with all might and unto, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering and power, and long-suffering with joyfulness. Now we look at these words and we're going, well, isn't he being repetitive? Patience and long-suffering. And this is kind of an interesting thing because I'm going to tell you, in the Greek, the word for patience is steadfastness, endurance, or perseverance, not Easily succumbing under suffering. Let me give you kind of an idea of what this is. Patience does not mean I get, it means that I don't get mad when everything's going bad. Okay? And that includes internally. How many of you have gotten mad but didn't say anything? <laughs> you know, unfortunately, most people know that you're mad. Whether you say it or not, they know you're mad. Your face usually shows it. <laughs> You know, uh, and he's saying that we are to be patient. Now, patience is a hard lesson to learn. You know, just to not succumb to the suffering. When you're in the middle of the suffering, you know, I tell you, I, I quote Romans 8, 28, and that's a great comfort to me, and it's come down to the point where I pretty much just rest in that verse now. It used to be, I would quote the verse, and I would be kind of, God, why would you, why you're letting all this stuff happen, and kind of seething under, underneath, but knowing that he's got a purpose made it easier. Now, pretty much, I just go, okay, God, you've got a reason. I don't know what it is, but you've got a reason. Patience. What keeps you patient? And God loves to test your patience. <laughs> Why? Because Christians should be dependent upon God. And, you know, most of us, when we walk according to God, people notice. And I hope you've had some time in your life where people look at you and go, you just don't act like everybody else. You're not going crazy in the, you know, this long line. You're not going crazy in the parking lot that's supposed to be an interstate. <laughs> You know, you're, you're not doing this, you're not doing that. You're, you are so different from the rest of the world. It's important for us to have that difference shine forth for people. That people notice and say, I don't know what it is, but I want what you, 
what you have. Sometimes they'll make fun of it. I can't tell you how many people in the, and, and the inmates in the prison go, have come up to me and go, why do you smile all the time? Why are you always happy? You know, those guys are always looking at people to say, is it genuine? You know, how can you get through so, you know, all these bad things happening and you're not just you know, on a drunk for the week you know, or whatever it might be that they expect from themselves? Patience that God gives us. And it has to be because we're so dependent upon him. And then long-suffering. Long-suffering is a little different. It's self-restraint, not hasty, to retaliate a wrong. Patience is the endurance. (laughs) Okay. With joy. Long-suffering is, I'm not going to be hasty in, in wanting you to be paid back. How many people have ever said, well, I've forgiven somebody, but I just can't wait until they get punished <laughs> by God? You know, I forgave you, but just wait. You know, what comes around, <laughs> what goes around comes around. You, know, you just wait. I've forgiven you, but I just am waiting for the day that God gets after you. And they may not say it, but you know, have you, have maybe you've thought it at some time. You know, uh, I've forgiven you, but boy, I'm just waiting for God to get back at you. <laughs> I'm not going to do it, but God, God, God's going to get you sooner or later. David had a lot of that in the Psalms. <laughs> okay. Uh, or he wanted God to get him. <laughs> God is really wanting us to learn to not be hasty in requirement. Does that mean that nothing is to be paid back? No, there are certain things that are so bad they deserve to be punished. But our heart as Christians should normally be, God, it's in your hands. And the sad thing to me is how hard God judges people sometimes. (laughs) Now I know that he needs to do that with them and that they deserve it, but I've seen people's lives be shattered. And they deserved it. On one side, I know they deserved it, but it still broke my heart to watch somebody that I know have their life shattered. And hopefully they came to God through the process But you know, our desire as Christians, and as part of forgiveness, when I forgive somebody, I'm giving up my right to demand that they be punished. Now, most of us don't usually go that far in our forgiveness. Our forgiveness is, I forgive you. And we put words on it. But we're still just waiting for the chance for them to be punished. I'm going to tell you right now, that's not forgiveness. That is not real forgiveness if we're just waiting for them to be punished, put in their place. Just can't wait till they're put in their place because of how bad they treated me. We want to be very careful with that. God takes us as humans that deserve to be punished, sent the Son to cover our sins. Our sins are forgiven. The world's sins are forgiven. There is one sin that was, is not forgivable, and that's direct to to reject Jesus Christ as your Savior. You reject Him as your Savior and you're sent to hell. You accept Him as your Savior, you go to heaven. Pretty easy decision. And this is why when I talk about this person I knew that was saying, well, if murderers go to heaven, I don't want to be there. Number one, they don't understand the, the awfulness of their own sin. You know, we as humans have our categories of sin. You know, well, if I tell a little lie, that's okay. If I tell a big lie, that's a little worse. 
If I steal something from somebody, that's worse. If I murder somebody, that's if I If I go out and I murder lots of people, that's terrible. You know, and we have this hierarchy, and God says, there's sin. There's sin. Now, is there a greater consequence for some of the things that we say are bad sin? Yeah, there's greater consequences. If you go out and murder lots of people, there's a greater consequence for that than just telling a lie. But they're both sin. And the ultimate punishment for disobedience is death. So we want to keep this in mind. God is saying we're to be patient and long-suffering. Not quick to anger, not quick to demand judgment, judgment on people. You know, I hear it lots of times when people tell me, well, this person did this, they deserve. And you'll go, you know what, we all deserve. We need to learn to be forgiving. And if we all learn to be forgiving, what, what difference would it make in this church to begin with? How much difference would it make in your neighborhoods where you live? How about your family? How many of you have unforgiveness in your heart towards some family member? We need to learn to be forgiving toward family. You know, they're not going to understand it, but it might open a door to be able to share Christ. There'll be others in your family go, how can you forgive that person? They're, they're just terrible. <laughs> we need to learn to forgive. Does it mean we put ourselves in a position to keep being abused by somebody right, because we forgive them? No. But we don't also sit there and go, well, God, when are you going to go get this person? You know, they're, they're really bad, God. When are you go, when, you know, I've forgiven them. I'm, I'm telling them I'm forgiving them. God, when are you going to get them? When are, when are you going to get there? Just deserts, God. It'll probably happen. And I'm hoping that when it happens, you're not rejoicing in their punishment. And I've seen Christians get joyful in their punishment. I've seen, we've got some verses that talk about them being joyful when, when somebody's punished. And God's telling them, no, you don't do that. You want to love these people. And my encouragement for us is that we need to have God so full in our life that when we look at people... We look at them in love. We look at them in love. We want to forgive. We want to accept them. We're not accepting their sin. And this is something we talk about in Christianity a lot. We are to love the sinner and hate the sin. And, you know, it's not an easy thing to do. It really isn't until you can actually separate sin from the person. The world cannot, number one, the world does not understand that statement. When we say love the sinner and hate the sin, they don't understand it because they cannot separate the two. You are what you do by the world's teaching. And if you don't believe me, take a psychology class or a sociology class, and they'll tell you all about how people can't change and they are what they are. And it takes a long time to be able to change them. Well, no, it doesn't. All you got to do is get rid of the sin and, and heal the person. We as Christians realize that we are people and we are sinners. And we can say, I love that person. I hate what you do, but I, I'm going to love you. And the more you can learn to separate the person from their sin, the better off you're going to be. There's so many things that Christians will do and say that are so hateful toward people that are sin, living in their sin. And we want to be careful with that because we don't want to tell them that their sin is okay. Their sin is a sin. It needs to be repented of and gotten rid of. But we need to be doing it in gentleness and love. Helping them, looking for them to be a better person. You know, and we've shared with you at times, you know, you can say the same sentence in, a, in the tone and attitude of your voice. You are a bunch of sinners and you're going to hell. 
You know, there's no love in that, in that, in that statement, and people are going to get, you know, defensive about it. But if you're coming to them and saying, you know, I am so concerned because you have sin in your life, and that sin takes you to hell, and I don't want to see you in hell, there's a whole different attitude in that, in that statement. And we don't want to be hard and harsh on people. We need to be very soft and gentle. Give them the same message. Give them the same message. You can give a hard message in love and have it be responded to much better than the harsh, harshness. Well, you're going to get what you deserve. No. no. My goal is much like God. I don't want to see anybody go to hell. I want to see them accept Jesus Christ as their Savior so that they'll go to heaven. Hell is an awful place that I don't want to see anybody go to. Even when they deserve it, and they do. I deserve it. I don't want to go there. I don't want anybody to go there. And love will say, don't do this. So we want to learn this whole idea of being patient with another, long-suffering. Can we be like Jesus in the face of trials? Jesus went before Pilate and was wrongly condemned. Now, I love talking to the prisoners. They go, well, you don't know what it's like to be in prison for the wrong, you know, on false charges. I go, but God does. And they go, what? And I'll tell them about Jesus wrongly accused and, and, and convicted. You know, well, you don't know this. Well, Jesus does. He was beat for our sins to within an inch of his life. Jesus understands wrong treatment. Hanging on a cross. Have you ever thought about what kept Jesus on the cross? It wasn't the soldiers that kept him on the cross. It wasn't the nails that kept him on the cross. At any moment, Jesus could have said, Father, they're not worth it. I don't want to have anything to do with them. Kill them all. And we'd be dead. At any moment, he could have just said, Okay, I hold all things together. I'm no longer holding things together. The whole world, the whole universe gone. He had that much power. While he's being abused and beat and suffering, love for us held him on that cross. Do we even have a little bit of that love toward, toward the lost people in our lives? Enough love to say, you can do, with, do to me what you want, but I'm not going to look to retaliate. In the cross in the switchblade, uh, David Wilkerson told Nikki Cruz, said, I was going to cut you up into 150 pieces. And he said, in every piece, and, and David Wilkerson, every piece of them will say, God loves you, or Jesus loves you. I can't remember which one it was, but, but, but Jesus loves you. Do we have that kind of love for people? That no matter what you do, I'm going to maintain that God loves you. We need to be strengthened. <laughs> We need the strength of God to be able to do that. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. We ask that you go before us today. Lord, strengthen us. Give us the strength to live the way you would want us to live. Give us the power and the ability to serve you in this world, no matter what happens. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.